0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate.
1: Hello and welcome. This is the C-86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, always playing the finest in indie pop. And also, we'd love a special guest to interview. This week, it is going to be the turn of Penny Rimbo. Yes, writer, poet, philosopher, performance artist, musician, and founder member of CRAS. So this is an interview I did very recently, in fact, yesterday. Um, After a bit of chat, we got down to the exciting subject that was the ever-changing political landscape as we live in that world of the coronavirus. And um, yes, I mentioned how he was dealing and what was happening and his general idea and view on this current situation. And this was Penny's reply. Penny, it's over to you.
0: Well, I'm hoping that some of the sort of positive elements of what's happening at the moment, and there are a lot of positive elements, are going to be things that people insist on maintaining when this is all over. Um, I mean, you hear the politicians talking about when it's back to normal. or well, quite frankly normal is what has created this gross capitalism um gross abuse of mother earth has created this situation and that is normal yes. and um given half a chance uh, the politicians and the generals and the uh, so-called leaders will you know gird their loins and continue As if nothing's ever happened, and it's up to us, the people who currently are are the ones on the front line. I mean, it's the poor in Britain who are really allowing Britain to run at the moment. Uh, They're the people who are doing the deliveries. They're the the people who are stacking the shelves. They're the people who are doing all the care work, etc., etc. The most underpaid members of society are the ones that this society's utterly dependent upon at the yes. moment
1: and it is quite an interesting one because obviously up to them we'd been sort of uh, there'd been a i suppose what's been quite interesting has been this kind of the rise of the right in the last three four years and i suppose mm-hmm. it has been sort of happening for a few for quite a while it's always bubbling under because when you ever have a sort of a, i suppose for a while you know, the left had slightly, it, things have slightly swung to the left, generally. But now they were going to the right. But this has kind of thrown the massive curveball, really, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think it has. And I mean, I've, I've never accepted the idea of, you know, a rise to the right. I mean, the right has only risen because the left has so fallen. And, um, you know, because it hasn't come up with any sort of tangible, workable ideas to oppose global capitalism yes um and it's now become an imperative that global capitalism is is massively changed is is deconstructed because we can't survive this is the message we don't listen to this message we've had the storms we've had the weather and now we've had something a little bit more you know which is really touching us and yes. if we don't learn from this and if we're not prepared to get out into the street and demand it, not just in the sort of um, revisionist or in the um, reformist rather way, um, then we're doomed. I mean, the message is clearly written on the wall. Uh, get a life or lose a life. That's what it boils down to. and um, And it's that crucial um and i mean i've i've certainly come out from you know really 10 in the last 10 years i've been largely a meditative i've been um you know i practice Taoism and meditate and you know um very settled in that domain and this is the first time i have felt no i've got to return to some of my it's not is in no way a contradiction to return to my sort of political stance. You know, it's something I would have hoped I didn't, you know, wasn't going to be called upon within myself to do. But that's certainly what's happened. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm beginning to sort of engage again on that level and sort of, you know, trying, if you like, to help prepare people not for what's happening at the moment, but actually for what's going to happen after this moment
1: yes well it's quite it's quite interesting it's a bit like it's like the human race are being told to go to their bedrooms and and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh for the evening without a computer or any internet access and sort mm-hmm. of be told to uh have a good thing about it and come down in the morning that's that's mm-hmm. how it kind of feels to me at the moment
0: no absolutely and i think that uh you know that i know that when I was sent to my bedroom when I, was, when I was a kid, that was where my revolution fermented. That's where I learned revolution. Sitting in my bedroom, cussing my parents, basically, and then cussing everything they believed in and stood for. And um, so, you know, they're making a big mistake um, in that sense, you know, because that's what's going to happen. You know, I know this. I know this from the sort of contacts I've, you know, been having over the last, well, over the last couple of weeks. Very, all sorts of strange voices have, you know, popped up again in my life, which, you know, I'd forgotten existed almost yeah, 40 years back. Um, and people are ready for it this time. You know, we got beaten back last time. And, I, you know, I don't know whether it's possible to sort of totally destroy the state as we know it but certainly the the, you know to all intents and purposes but that's what we're going to have to seek to do otherwise the state will destroy us it is
1: it is quite um it's quite a precarious time really because because i mean sort of just going back slightly like sort of living in the past i mean you were sort of obviously born during the sort of the second world war which was quite sort of in itself you know most people thought you know that's well, obviously, you were very young then. But then sort of growing up in the 60s, when did, you, when did sort of things start to ferment for you and things start to sort of develop and change and, and sort of new ideas started to emerge?
0: They really started from the beginning. I was born um, in um, South, well, southwest London, uh, you know, towards the end of the war. The bombings were still going on um and i obviously didn't know anything directly except that i didn't know my father i didn't meet my father till i was about three or four because he was in europe fighting and um when he came back into my life i didn't like him my little bit you know i'd I'd lived with my mother and my brother and sister we were you know happy family given we had to hide under tables and get out the way when the bombs were falling sort of thing not that i necessarily remember that um I do certainly remember my father returning from the war and me taking a pretty instant disliking to him because he was mucking up, you know, our relationship with mum. You know, he was he was more important than we were. We thought we were the most important things in the world, me and my brother and sister. Yes. Um, and then, uh, so from the very start, really, I didn't like authority figures. I didn't, Dad was a, an authority figure and he'd been to the war and his he'd saved the world for me i was told and i didn't like the world he'd saved i didn't like the look of it i didn't like what he'd bought of it into into my world and you know when i was about five or six i you know pulled my little book out of my parents library and it was actually had pictures of auschwitz in it. and i mean that was it really i thought oh christ no but i Initially, I obviously thought, well, that's what he was doing. You know, I didn't know. Well, he didn't talk about the war. I was too young to understand anything. I just knew he'd been at war somewhere. And then I saw these pictures, and I thought, that's what he was doing. Well, I don't like the look of that. Um, and uh, you know how a kid does. You don't know. I didn't know. And then neither did I dare ask him. I didn't want to have to ask him. I didn't want to, to, didn't want to say, Dad, did you do all that? Um...
1: But it was quite interesting because when I was growing up, probably in the late 60s, I remember occasionally my dad jumping up from the seat, uh, the sofa or whatever, Mm -hmm. and jumping in front of the telly to hide photographs or the image from the news of starving children in Africa. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, Mm -hmm. that's too upsetting. Don't watch it. But obviously you'd seen like a few seconds and then sort of like got drawn to this kind of thing and then saw photographs of starving children with these little weird bodies but big stomachs and, and being completely harassed it was horrendous actually so it was like yeah. Yeah. it's the world and then in being confused while well, we had food and someone else didn't have food and thinking that's mm-hmm. a bit odd why is that such a problem you know can mm. we just not well, give them our sandwich for the day or something you know what I mean when you're five it's very confusing. Yeah well
0: that's absolutely right when you're five you actually do have answers and you do give your sandwich away to someone who looks like they need it and that's because that's how simple it is yes um and then bit by bit you know the great brick walls go up and you know i guess from the very start i mean i know certainly from the time i saw those pictures that was it i wasn't going to have anything to do with it and i didn't have anything to do with it i mean from then on i was at constant battle with my parents you know i refused to go to church i refused to Conform at school. Of a net result, I was expelled from two schools, etc., etc. Because I wasn't about to buy into all this stuff, which I knew was cruel and violent and brutal and horrible. Everything that I thought was bad, Yes. and everything that is bad. So it wasn't about you know. I never had any sort of satori after that. My satori was very, very young. Uh, you know, in my very early childhood, I thought no, this. This real world that Dad's talking about is not for me. I'm not going to belong, period. And I never did. Yes. And I have and never will.
1: Oh, absolutely. And
0: it's as simple as that, really. And that's given me an outsider's view, if you like. Um, <clears throat> it means I, I'm, I'm never in it. I'm looking at it. Um, you know, and it's over the years I've developed ways of... You know philosophies or belief systems that you know actually operate in that way, Taoism rather operates in that way, existentialism rather operates in that way. Um, and those are the places you know, those are the givens within the material world that I can actually to some extent buy into. Uh, there's very little I can buy into, but th- those two th- manners of thought are two things that I certainly, you know. I concur with in some some way or other.
1: Yes, because but but a lot of times when I've met sort of outsiders, often they're very bitter and they feel quite a victim to it all. <laughs> whereas you you know and as sort of not the most positive people that I've met. So how have you managed to balance those kind of elements of being the outsider but not sort of feeling well, like the victim or or sort of a bitterness towards I, everything? I
0: might have had that if it hadn't been for um in my early teens I, I i the family went on holiday in positano in italy and i met this american artist who used to be selling paintings on the little alleyways down to the beach and i got i developed a really good friendship with him and we just used to sit and chat ideas and things i mean i was in awe of him because he was a proper artist and he seemed to have a lovely way of thinking and on, on the day that I was leaving. He gave me a, a book by Paul Reps about Zen Buddhism. And that just blew my mind. I thought, oh, phew, you know, there is a, you know, there's a there's a system of thought, if you like, which makes sense to me. Nothing had made sense to me. War didn't make sense to me. Industrialization didn't. Make, it, in those days, it was industrialization rather than gross capitalism, the same thing. Um, you know and all those things which i couldn't buy into i couldn't see i couldn't understand so i did feel isolated but you know it was that introduction to zen which made me although i didn't understand it and it took me 60 years to understand that the thing about zen is you can't understand it and once you've accepted that you have understood it so i went through that whole banana game um but that really was an introduction to something that was positive vital vibrant, life uh, fulfilling, and life giving. Um, and, you know, shortly after that, I, I I I read about karmic yoga, karmic yoga being the yoga of service. And otherwise, you know, that you don't need to look for a meaning in life, the meaning in life is to help others. And that's very much my credo. I mean, I, that's how I've lived my life. In the sense of, helping others in one way or another, whether it's, you know, through I attempt to affect through my poetry or whether it's chopping wood for the fire or making bread or whatever it is, you know, if it isn't for someone, then I'd, probably won't bother to do it i don't do much for myself because i'm not actually interested in myself
1: yes because during because coming from east Anglia, you know during the sort of the very early 70s there was this kind of rise of the the barsham fairs and the albion fairs and obviously mm-hmm. you created an all part of the the stonehenge free mm-hmm. festival so when did the, those kind of ideas start to sort of formulate that you thought festivals this is it we're gonna we're gonna change it and this is the this is the way we're going to kind of formulate it. Because, because speaking to people who who were sort of were at those early Barsham fairs, there was mm. a sort of a vision that this was going to be the future.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I have to say, I was never particularly into the festival scene. I thought that they were sort of dangerously vulnerable, as was proven with Stonehenge, which is the one that I co-founded with Um and I was always, I mean, basically, that was a case of helping Wally. Wally turned up here. Uh, he wanted to create a festival, which I thought was mad, at uh, Stonehenge, which I thought was even madder, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he wanted help, and I liked him. So he got help, um, and we went on liking each other until he was, you know, executed by the state. But, um, ugh. I've never thought, I mean, I've I've always had a very strong uh, calling to, you know, like um, cadres, you know, that people like the uh, French resistance, you know, went about it the right way. And they had a very good system of operation, you know, and I, I don't think, you know. Mass marches in the street are particularly effective, they're far too controllable and they're far too identifiable. And you know, covert action is really what has an effect, and it probably doesn't get heard about either. But that doesn't matter, it has effect, yes. And, um, it's much, I think,
1: a- I was going to say, it is much more effective because actually, if you sort of Put a big arrow on your forehead and, and sort of wind up the state or whatever. Mm. It, it's going it's going to have a very direct response, which is Absolutely. like. <laughs> <it's Yeah>. like
0: <laughs> and I I think I mean I think one of the keys in that is 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 that the, the primary and only revolution that can be a lasting one is a cultural revolution. I mean you can change the sort of system around what's going on, but you, <clears throat> primarily you have to change the culture around which the system exists. Uh, culture being attitude, uh, you know, social philosophy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I have to say that I, I mean I regard myself in that respect as being a sort of cultural terrorist. I've spent my entire life attempting to undermine that which I feel is bad and replace it with what I feel is good and loving. Um, you know, love and peace. Um, and I've I have i have used you know, all sorts of mass movement, covert actions to pure um, deconstruction within language. Um, The presentation of upside down ideas, because I mean, generally speaking, I've found that if you look at something backwards, you probably come pretty close to a deeper truth within it, Um, etc, etc. And all of that is based around the fundamental of, of, of karmic yoga. This is the meaning of life, to help others.
1: Yes.
0: Um, I mean, for example, I do daily tweets on, on, the, uh, on Twitter, and uh, uh, I've been doing them for about six, or seven, six years, something like that. And, um, I haven't had to be openly political, until about two weeks ago, and I just I thought, no, I've got to move again. This uh, this has to be yes. put into line. But my approach there is more trying to help people tackle their fear, uh, tackle their yeah their nervousness, their fear, their apprehension, because basically speaking, the greatest weapon of any form of war, be it nuclear war, be it biological warfare, be it any form of war, bows and arrows, is fear. Um, If the state can instill fear in its own people and in um, other states, then the state is in a very powerful position because there's nothing more immobilizing than than fear. Um, And so... A large amount of my work over the last month or so has been like to counter fear, you know, to try to indicate to people manners in which fear can be overcome, uh, not denied. It's very important to you know have your own feelings and it's very important to digest them and understand those feelings. But, I, but, but, but to be able to understand that they are feelings, that, you know, who's having the feelings? You are. Well, you don't need to have those feelings. You can still f- effectively be aware of something. I mean, I'm aware of you know, the very great dangers for all and sundry currently uh, with this virus. But I'm not fearful of it in any way whatsoever. Yes. Uh, and That's part because I'm not a key to fear is, is, is fear of death. But, it's quite,
1: but what what's quite interesting with the virus, and it's hard not to sort of keep going back to it really, is that, you know, because I thought, oh, my God, civil unrest, which kind of, if it's not very well, you know, if people's motives are just like to smash everything up and grab, you know, big big screen tellies or just kind of yeah. be violent, that's, that's quite, you know, that's terrifying. Whereas this has kind of been such a leveller because actually everybody seems very quiet there isn't that sense of like somebody's about to sort of kick off and you know it's not like one of those festivals we used to go to where you know people get you know out of their heads on lsd going around mm. on, on motorbikes and vans without brakes and and yeah, yeah. thinking my god someone's going to get killed whereas actually at the moment yeah. the human race feels like everyone's walking around quiet there isn't there isn't chat in the air There's, so it's quite a thoughtful moment we yeah i think in. it is
0: I, yes i think you're you're absolutely right there and i uh, And I think that, you know, it's a very important um, period in that sense, you know, for questioning and being prepared to act on the answers, you know, and um, I mean, if all it's, if it simply goes down as a sort of period of apprehension, then that's not enough. Uh, it has to go down as 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 a, as a period of recognition and genuine will to act in whatever manner or, or means will bring about the necessary changes. Yes. And I'm not in that. I'm not in that promoting, you know, sort of armed revolution. If I thought armed revolution could achieve that, and I would, you know happily support it but it, it can't and won't so no i don't um what i do believe can change is is uh, our hearts and our souls and if once that is changed one is invulnerable effectively i mean it doesn't mean you can't be killed but it does mean you are invulnerable mm. um and just, and just briefly, just, um, you
1: know, with, with your experience and, and relationship with Wally and, and that free festival movement, how long did it take for you to sort of process that and get to a space or place which was feeling a bit better? Because you went to After some quite... Yes, because you went to some quite... It must have taken you... It must have taken a lot out of you, that kind of period of your life and, and sort of dealing with what happened and you wrote a book about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I guess really it took whatever it was. I think it was almost a two-year period between where I was in. You know, I wasn't able to, you know, effectively grieve or or, or mourn because I was so bloody angry. And you know, I, I, if if anything, you know, I knew that Wally he was he was an innocent. Um, and he was a very sweet, dear chap, and he, he wanted to make things really nice for people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and that's how he had been treated. I mean, I up until that point, I'd been quite happily sort of growing organic vegetables and painting paintings and writing poems in my, you know, country commune or open, open door house. Um, and... Yeah, I was just pretty angry, actually. And I wrote the book. I think I came up with pretty conclusive proof that he was actually taken out by the state. Well, I mean, I totally believe that to this day. Um, And that's a hard one as well. Uh, That really brought home to me exactly, exactly what the state is and what the state will do. And there's been lots of other cases since where it's done similarly um so then uh steve turned up in my life who was the guy that we um we co-founded crass and that he was pissed off as well he was pissed off for a very different reason you know angry about things for a very different reason you know he came from a very underprivileged background disenfranchised youth uh living in you know workers rabbit hutch um etc etc having come out of appalling conditions he had actually managed to get some sort of you know, reasonable education out of it somehow yeah uh, but um you know he he was very angry and i was very angry and we just hit it off together and actually all the energy my at that I, I think by the time he turned up as i recall i had already burnt the book that I'd written about Wally I couldn't bear it anymore I couldn't take the pressure um, you know I was getting visits from the police who were warning me about what I was up to and I was getting visits from people who were similarly warning me about uh, sort of gangland and upset parents all sorts of crazy things all physically threatening me and I just had to have had enough I always used to sleep in the garden and Summer and I became afraid of sleeping in the garden because I, you know, I wouldn't know what might happen to me and etc etc. And then when uh, when Steve turned up, it was just oh wow well yeah let's make a band let and it was only just the two of us um, you know and we just used to go in we had a little rehearsal studio in the house which was still uh, and we just kicked things around and made noises and you know yeah. He wrote a few songs. Initially, I said I wouldn't write any songs because he came off the street and I didn't, you know. And uh, well, eventually, I got sort of used to the ideas and and um, you know felt I'd got enough experience to be able to talk that way. But um, yeah, so that actually that rather than the book had the book been published, and I'm sure it could very well have been, you know, I'd have become an expert on sex, drugs, and rock and roll you know, the sort of bloke that the BBC call in to talk about radical things, Yeah. you know, and actually thereby dilute everything about it. So actually my, the gift I got from Wally's death was crass, um, you know, and it was a bloody effective gift, you know, I mean, Wally used to talk about uh, sim- symbols and, drums being our weaponry They that was our guns and bombs and stuff and you know that's precisely what we did we created you know a radical sort of I would like and hope to think you know, revolutionary yes. group um, working towards you know nothing less than the, the downfall of the state well I mean yeah, we all know we didn't succeed but we certainly made a nice dent in it, and that dent gets larger rather than smaller.
1: Yes, and did you feel? I mean, obviously, you know, you know, people like to categorise stuff. So, you know, at the same time, there was the slightly sort of the normal sort of punk scene, and then there was kind of you on the other side. So, in in a way, you were even outsiders within in the scene that you were part of.
0: We did that. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we didn't. I mean, we had our own label, and people who seemed to sort of have some well they had to to get get onto the label they had to have some pretty firm commitment within the realms that we operated and that was broad you know that went from you know sort of new york avant-garde um poetry to sort of icelandic um rock and roll but you know it it had to have this spirit for want of a better word a sort of bohemian outsider spirit you know so um, I mean, and we created quite a full, I mean, I think we did 30 singles of other bands and 150 bands on a series called Bullshit Detector, you know, so we introduced a whole load of kids to potential and most of them many of them have gone on to fulfill that potential in very rich ways creatively or in, uh, involved in some form of social interaction social work etc cetera, etc cetera. it was a very profound effect all that had
1: yes and and, and obviously you know, you you hadn't sort of gone into this, but wanting to be a musician, being in the band, or setting up a record label. So, how did how were you sort of managing to try and sort of keep some sort of handle on this? I mean, when you look back on it now, did it, you know, did you manage to sort ride that period, or did you feel like everything was just get, had to, I don't know, just got carried away, or you, you know, you were out of control with it? Not out of control. No,
0: I don't think. No, I don't think I've ever felt that about anything. I. uh... I mean, I've always gone worked on the principle that I can do everything myself, and everything else is a bonus. You know, so I'm always grateful for the slightest bit of help, whatever I'm doing. You know, if someone wants to come and help me. I've been weeding the path outside my my shed today, and you know, someone had come along and wanted to sit in the sun and weed the path with me. I'd have been joyful because we could have shared that thing. Um, so I've always. My whole attitude is if i can't if I can't do it myself, I don't ask someone else to do it. I just don't do it um, and if but if 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 I am doing something and someone wants to help, then that's joy to me that's the idea of joy um, and so no I, I mean it's been unbelievably intense at times over the year. I mean actually at the moment is one of the most intense periods for work and you know what's going on anyway which is sort of like creating making big problems with when i say work i mean i have a, a qualifying when the residents at dial house say work they mean creative work they mean that i'm going to my studio and i'm going to write a poem or i'm going to the photo area and i'm going to print some prints whatever so work is creative stuff all the rest is just play, you know, whether it's digging in the garden or walking to the shops or whatever. It's play, that's play. Yes. So it's quite the opposite to how most people seem to go about their idea of work and play.
1: And has, but, Di- and has Dial House, which is the, you know, the commune here, um, yeah. has that been your kind of lifeline and saviour throughout your life?
0: hasn't been my saviour. I mean, it's been my deepest commitment in life. I mean, above any relationship, um, above all else, above my own creativity, Dial House has been a sort of an experiment, if you like. I wanted to know what would happen if you took the locks off the door. Um, And, I mean, the first thing I learned was that you have to take the locks off your heart because if you've got the locks off the door and you haven't got the locks off your heart then you're going to get into a mess pretty damn quick um and so <clears throat> i i just take it as it comes to be honest and i <sighs> i don't know that it's been a lifeline it's been um, it's been an incredible privilege to enjoy to being able to watch the land grow and move and change for over 50 years. I mean, not many people are in one spot for 50 years. No, this is true. I, this mean, is... I mean, that's something that Indigenous people have the great depth. I mean, I think that the depth of, of, of knowing this landscape, minutely, I mean, we we, we live on... It's an acre of land, but beyond it, there's you know, like 20 acres of farmland, basically. And then I'm looking out my window of my shed at the moment across fields and the woodland in the background, horses going by occasionally. Um, and I belong to this land, and, and the land belongs. And I, it, I, the land doesn't belong to me. I, I stated that by taking the locks off the door and the gates. Um, but I belong to the land and I've honoured um, that beloved land all my life.
1: Yes, which is often, and, yes, it's often well I suppose land and Having some sort of awareness of sort of the planet, the cosmos, the stars mm. i mean it does it, it's kind of quite grounding because I suppose in the last few nights, because we've had this amazing weather as well, sort of looking mm. at the stars and various planets, thinking, mm. that, that mm. it's seen it all hasn't it it's seen this yeah. kind of little speck in in the sort of cosmos right. and thought, oh dear, what are they up to now." Mm. <laughs> absolutely yeah which is quite you know i suppose it's a humbling moment and that's why you know and the and the silence are, is quite stunning i suppose that's why i've still you know coming back to what's happening at the moment it's it's still not that kind of there aren't fireworks or rock bands in the distance it's no. just it's just birds you know no, ch- chirping
0: no airplanes <laughs>
1: no airplanes it's just bizarre it is very I,
0: and I, I think i mean i was sitting out in the garden having a cup of tea earlier and I just thought I could taste the air, you know. The actual air is purified unbelievably just in this week. Um, it's got a the same sort of sense of having iron in it that that places like um, you know up the, up in the North Highlands. Yeah, has a wonderful purity, and I think that you know really. It's not that strong, but it's certainly cleaned up crazily, you know, in this short while. Yeah. And it's only, only about a month or two, uh, G and myself, were, we were going somewhere in her. I don't drive, but she drives. Anyway, we're in her car. And I said, G, do you think if, if, if the whole world was told that if we used no cars for a month, airplanes don't fly for a month etc 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 that if they were told that that would actually save the planet from you know the uh, climate uh, changes do you think that everyone would be happy to do that and we both agreed that we didn't think everyone would be happy to do that no. uh, but I think that what's happening at the moment which is a much more personal threat to people you know maybe now's the chance that big changes can and will be made they'll have to be
1: yes i think that you know sort of the the shit i suppose I know with with a lot of people looking at sort of trying to change the system, but when the system is so, so in, you know, it's, so, it's been in, in place for such a long time and it's built, over, built up over decades and, and yeah. centuries, it's very difficult and inconceivable that anything can, like this would happen. You know, if you said to someone at Christmas, by the way, you know, there won't be any festivals, there won't be any sporting events. We'll oh, yeah. all be told uh, to sort of be at home and yeah. just to be quiet for for probably most of this year. You know, people mm-hmm. would say, you, you know, you're just taking too many drugs, mate. You just, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what mm-hmm. he's talking about, but mm-hmm. that would never, mm-hmm. ever happen. And yeah, mm-hmm. in, a, in literally a few days it's kind of like well this country has and most countries will do the same and those that aren't like the good old united states are probably going to suffer even more kind of consequence so it mm. is i suppose that a kind of it's hard not to keep having those thoughts that it just can't go back how it was because we have pro- proven that we can change our habits very quickly if mm. we have to mm. Mm.
0: Mm. The only thing, uh, I mean, as we are changing our habits, the state is creating its new laws, and it's been common um, historical fact that, you know, in times of crisis, the state will change its laws, and those laws do not get removed after the crisis. And those laws include, you know, the freedom of movement, all sorts of freedoms. And so those are the sort of things... Um, that the watchdog is going to have to be out. I mean, I i have never, to be honest, I've never been a, a, an absolute supporter of Extinction Rebellion. Um, I don't like reformist politics, but I do think that there's a lot of really ra- good radical thinkers and they're moving in on it more and more. And, you know, so there's a sort of platform waiting to be used, if you like, there. They've created a very good platform and it's not, you know, it's probably not a huge amount of work to sort of change the, the direction sufficiently to make some sort of meaningful pre-state you know, for the, for the demands for these necessary changes and the tactics in which, you know, those might require us to take. I yeah. mean, it's going to be interesting to see just how much global capitalism will have closed its doors by the, you know, to us um, in any way, except that we should remain as passive consumers. Um and so yeah i mean it's it, it will be a, a a very exciting um moment to see how And what goes on at the end of it
1: all? Yes, and do you? I mean, just just going back to the band a bit. You know, when you you know you have, you know, like with most bands, they have a five-year narrative. Yours was longer. You know, they do the albums, they do the tours, and then they sort of get to that point where things have to come to an end. And then you know, often spend a bit of time, sort of not wanting to think about it too much because it's all been a bit too much. You know, no, no one. A lot of people i 'm not saying you did, but a lot of people really want that success, but obviously mostly it doesn 't come you know most bands just don 't go beyond you know doing that that much and then they you know and then they split up and the, but no one 's ever heard of them because they 're still they 've just played in front of their friends and family and anybody else that they can emotionally blackmail to see them, whereas you actually yeah. took this amazing trip and rocket to the skies and then had to mm. come back to earth and how did you know how did you sort of cope when that sort of finished, and then the sort of like the kind of the dust having to settle and, and sort of, you know, because cause Steve still does the crass stuff. And, yeah, it
0: wasn't. I mean, we, we went our different ways, you know, sometimes in a sort of um, agreeable way and sometimes in a not so agreeable way. You know, we had very big differences. Once we didn't have the band <clears throat> as a sort of like that was what we were and that's how we were behaving, you know, seven years Seven very, very, very intense years, well, actually it ran into eight or nine, really, but you know actively on the road and in the studio, you know that was seven years. I um, know, oh, yeah, I mean it didn't actually seem very much different to me. I mean, I'd made a, I, I, I determined that I didn't want to work like that again. you know, I felt we'd pushed it to as far as we possibly could together. Uh, we would made our statement, um, and we've made it loud and clear. Uh, there was no point in continuing to do it in that way, and actually, it was becoming obvious that that way was no longer the way. Um, and so, yeah, I, nothing changed for me. I mean, I, 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 neither was Crest wasn't important. I mean, it was the most known thing that has come out of this house in in the, you know however many years, over 50 years that I've been here. But, you know, all sorts of extraordinary other things have happened as well, which are just a sort of exciting, sometimes more exciting, you know, the Stonehenge Festival, the ISIS Festival, all sorts of things that we've done from here. Uh, well, my present life of creative, my present creative life and my engagement with Taoism and Buddhism, etc., etc., is I, I do with the same intensity and the same devotion that I put into the band, you know. So nothing really changes for me, yes. it's just the continuation. Um, you know, I've lived a very intense life and I will continue to do so until I stop living. So, um,
1: but then, but you also had a bit of a brush with death, didn't you? Which is often a a moment. Because were you, did you say you were diagnosed with, was it cancer
0: or...? Well, the biggest one was the heart attack. The heart um, attack, yeah. that's it. Well, actually, I, I've just come, you know, I'm very lucky that I had a cancer removed. Uh, it was only a skin cancer, so it was a pretty serious one, on my back about just before it wouldn't have been possible. It probably wouldn't have been possible now. I had it done about 10 days ago, which was... Um, Anyway, but that wasn't it wasn't immediately life threatening. It might be, but I haven't had a biopsy yet. But uh, no, the heart attack was the big one. You know, that was like phew, that was the only time in my life that I, I I felt overpowered by something else. You know, it was a total sort of psychological, emotional, physical tsunami of pain, basically. Yes. Um, and. <clears throat> What it taught me was not to bullshit. Um, I, I'd, I'd been practicing um, Zen rather than Taoism for, for about, I think, six years at that point. Seriously, I mean, I've always had my an interest in that, but, you know, maybe 12 years ago. or So I said to myself, look, you played around with it all your life. Now, actually, look at it and get engaged with it you know it's something that you've got so much from what have you given to it and really the answer was well not a lot you know because i've been cherry picking using the bits i liked and forgetting the bits i didn't like and so i started practice which meant meditation and retreats and all that sort of stuff anyway old ego jumps in onto the picture after about two or three years of doing that and starts saying oh you know, you're getting pretty good at this. You, you know, you could, you could become a Zen master, you know. Uh, you know, and all just bullshit. I mean, Zen is about throwing away all that nonsense, not taking it on. But the ego is a powerful force. Anyway, uh, and I think the heart attack was, <laughs> it was sort of like a message, really. You want to take this seriously and get a bloody life. Um because you saw as hell ain't treating this seriously. You're just doing the same thing again and building stories out of it. And it's almost like I had, had a heart attack on Rochdale Station. The train came in that I was meant to be getting on and it went away. And it's almost like I saw myself get onto that train and, you know, with all the baggage, you know, and I was left this sort of desolate thing on the platform and I was putting on. Ambulance, and I think I died two or three times on my way to the hospital. Each time I was out dead, you know, I, I was I was floating in the air above my garden, above this garden, um, and and it's an incredibly, unbelievably beautiful garden, and um, I was floating in the air, but I knew I wasn't there. Which is, you know, death. You know, sort of like death experience. You, 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 you can see it, but you're actually not there to see it. Um, and that was a very profound realization. Uh, anyway, so uh, and when and really, when I came out from, I think I was in hospital for about three. I I signed out. I didn't want to stay, and I don't think hospitals are very healthy places to be. They've done what they could do for me. Which is stent in my heart and you know it's time to go um and so I just thought no I've been playing again I'm probably playing now as well you know but maybe just at a slightly lesser level ever since I really became a creative thinker which was when I was very young I used to go for the whole truth and beauty line, which was very much part of romanticism. And am not sure I even understood what I meant, but that's what I wanted. I wanted truth and I wanted beauty. And that's never changed, actually, in all my life, you know, one way or the other. I've been working towards that. And actually what's happening in my older age, you know, now I'm certainly not so healthy, I'm not so strong. I've had all sorts of, you know, I've had two cancer about of all sorts of things in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, But the other thing I have is this just increasing sense of sheer beauty. And it's not beauty that I own or possess, sheer beauty that this exists. I'm having the privilege, actually, to be able to sit here. I'm, I'm just outside. There's a little hill we call the Goat Hill, where we used to graze the goats. And it's covered in um, in primroses. Yeah, and it's, it's that time again. There in a hundred years, uh, you know, I were not but they will, and that's what the beauty. That's what that's the great, profound and wonderful beauty that surrounds us all, if we could but see. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, yes, of course. You know, I've, I've got a beautiful little hill. And I planted beautiful little primroses in it. But we've all got things of beauty around us somewhere. And if we haven't, then it's time to start creating them.
1: Yes, and, and is then... it was it kind of a, a a humbling experience that kind of moment when you were on the train, you know, at the yeah,
0: it was, and 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 it it, it was, uh, it, and it, it made me feel very very vulnerable. And then I started getting letters, you know, from people saying. Oh, you know, I hope you recover, okay, and hope you recover, recover. I thinking, recover, hey, why do I want to cover up? I've just been exposed to life in its rawest, most real sense. I don't want to cover that up. I want to remain vulnerable. I want to remain at that moment. I I am that person floating above the garden, looking down, but I'm not really there because um, that is eternal. And I'm not looking for eternal for this physical form. That is the, etern- it, the eternal nature of being. Um, and one doesn't have to be in it to be being it. Um, and that's, uh, yes, it, 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 this thing has done so well. This body of mine has done a wonderful job um, but it's a you know, it's a sort of mechanical, chemical, electro-organism, really, and that's fine. Um, beyond that, there's life itself, and that's what powered this organism, and that's what's powering the primroses and the crow that just went by and the drips of, of sort of um, water on the windows and yes. all the rest of it. Um, life goes on. You know, we're not actually the most important thing in the world. We're not even in the world as such like that. We are the world. Um, you know, if we know we are the world, then we're not too worried about not being able to imagine that we're a part of it and very special. Because we're not actually a part of it and very special. We just are it. You know, there's nothing beyond that. Yes. And if we are it, we haven't even got a name to go with it. Which is
1: great. Yeah. And just and just basically, uh, kind of lastly, I mean, because I was kind of, um, when I was growing up, was one of those typical people sort of watching Top of the Pops and the Top mm. 20 and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and was that, that period of, I suppose it was the kind of the glam bands. But then I, I, it was David Bowie was my, mm. my first kind of love and first single, yeah. and first album. And obviously, just kind of curious, because there's the... The, the the name of the band was that is that actually you know not just mm. a, a myth that is actually real that uh, it yes. came from the
0: Bowie song. Yes, it did, because yeah, yeah. Steve was a terrific um, Bowie fan, um, you know, when he first turned up here, um, and yeah, so that that's precisely. It. In fact, we were calling ourselves um, Stormtrooper initially, and then Eve who was the you know, lead female vocalist. She wasn't in the band at that time. It was just Steve and myself. But she used to sort of come and sit in and laugh at us, basically, when we were just the two of us rehearsing. And um, she said, well, don't expect me to come out on the road with you if you've got that bloody name. because it's So <laughs> so-, so, <laughs> so we decided we'd better have a rethink. I mean, I thought it was quite a lot, but it uh, wasn't a pre
1: Yes, that was a bit... Yes, all crass is much better. And then it was always nice that, you know, I'd sort of heard this story that, you know, the David Bowie connection, so I thought... Mm. It was always... And just lastly, what would you say then? I mean, you vaguely, you know, answered this, but what would you have said to an 18-year-old self kind of, I don't know, starting out, you know, and you thought, God, that would have been just a nice little thing. If someone had just whispered that in my ear, even if I'd ignored it or not understood it, it would have been like, ah, I've got it now. If there was such a thing,
0: such a thing as what I could whisper in a young
1: yes, in your in your in your younger self, you know, something. Sorry, well, my that, younger self! Yeah, that bit of wisdom, or something that you think, God, I've really I've learned that. I don't
0: think I. I don't think I'd ever. I I think I'd just say thanks for being around. <laughs> um, because there's nothing I regret in my life. I've done some pretty crap things, and I'm sure I've hurt a few people, but I don't regret it because I know that I never meant to do that. Um, and if I did mean to do it, I apologised. Um, and so I don't have any regret. So, you know, I could meet myself at any point in my life and say, well done, you have got this far, you know. Um, I'll see how far I can get after now, yes. sort of if you understand what I mean. And that's all, you know. I mean, it's been a absolutely fabulous experience just being, you know, and it gets better. I mean, it gets better. doesn't matter how sort of ill or shitty I f- might feel, because I can feel ill and I can feel shitty, but I know what's going on. I can see it, you know, and it's always going on in its own beautiful, profound way. And it will continue to do so. And even if it was just desert, it would still be profound and beautiful.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well look, this has been great. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, this has been amazing. And look, let's just keep our fingers crossed for a a, a better future or or certainly a good future. Well let's
0: just let's just work for one. (laughs) (laughs) Which we're doing. Yeah. Good. Yeah, well look, thank you. what form does this interview come out? Well, I'll,
1: I'll sort of put it, um, I do this uh, ra- uh, show on the radio, future radio, but also I'll podcast it. So I'll mm. send, I can always uh, tweet and and, and uh, the link of the podcast as well. And then if you mm. if you so want to, you can, and I or I could send you the link as well.
0: So you could always. No, that'd be uh, lovely. Yeah, send me a link when you've got it. I mean, yeah.
1: that's, I, mean I like,
0: I, I certainly one little Indian who's, you know, the people we work with now with the, on on all of our recording you know they like having that sort of stuff to put on their sites or on sites about what we're doing now so yes that'd be lovely it will be great yeah. oh
1: yeah definitely well look let's go and enjoy the evening or the afternoon yeah right. yeah the clocks well, will change on sunday it's gonna oh be of
0: course they do oh yeah thanks for reminding me <laughs> that's another nice thing isn't it i mean i've dropped my watch you know, I'm not wearing it. What's the point of wearing it? Because there's nothing to do. I mean, I can remember, I've got my diary, which tells me four o'clock, you're going to be on the phone or whatever. But, you know, and it's, and so time's become meaningless, hasn't it? If you're not having to get out and do things, you don't need time. And, and it's longer. I mean, I got up at about eight, I think, this morning. seems like today's been a complete eternity. It's quite extraordinary. I haven't done very much, but it's, been an eternity all the same in the nicest sense of the word well absolutely absolutely that you know
1: having blue sky the light and then suddenly the blossoms has has just changed it's just it couldn't have come at a better time for us actually
0: i sort of believe i do believe that the first duty is to heal ourselves you know and in healing ourselves we heal we will heal, heal the planet and that might require you know firstly physically Um, but also psychologically and spiritually and on every level heal ourselves. Because it's all gone wrong because we've become sick within so many of those areas. And it's not a terribly hard job healing yourself. Um, And if, if everyone did it, the world would change overnight.
1: Yes. Well, I suppose it's a bit like, you know... I had a brush, you know, with um, cancer a few years ago. And, and you have those moments when you get out and you you do sort of... When someone says, oh, my God, I'm having a terrible day. And you think, yeah, there's... <laughs> there's you <laughs> know, it's, it, it, it's kind of a terrible day when some someone tells you, oh, really? That's what I've got? That is, it wasn't a terrible... I mean, bizarrely, when I had that news, he, he, you know, he then said, well, you're really lucky we called it early. So I walked out of the hospital on my own mm. thinking... I cannot believe that I've ever heard those words mentioned because I'm really fit and I've been very fit most of my life. That you've got cancer. I never expected that. And yeah. yet, I'm also lucky. And I was, I my brain was literally going from, I couldn't do the cancer victim write a blog thing because, you know, that's just kind of corny. But at the same time, I thought, yeah, that's the big one. That's one of the big ones, isn't it? But yeah, he's just told me I'm all, all lucky, even though I'm going to have to have a major operation in four yeah. weeks' time. So again, you just thought, you know I can't you know I can't you know even though you know it was kidneys it was still like actually I was so lucky you know you know and and so Mm. you know I can't jump on that kind of you know you know what it's like sometimes when people are ill you almost feel like are you almost happy to be ill now you
0: absolutely yeah it it gives those who maybe lack any sense of self and or certainly any lack of identity gives them an identity I mean you used to have that with the so sort of war victims who almost wore it as a sort of badge of honour, you know, that, 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 you know, because that was their identity. Understandably, if you had blow your leg blown away, you've got to try and do something positive with it, I guess, you know, and that, so you wear it as an identity. But it's actually taking it away from your your deepest self, and yes. As those things do, um, well, as think- does as does pronoun- pronouncements of cancer, and all those things, you know. And I do, I mean, I actually do believe that, you know, have we the power, we can create enormous healings. I mean, there's certainly a lot of talk at the moment about how in response to, you know, high electromagnetic frequencies like G5 can be countered through meditation. Because in meditation, you sink to a very low receptive level or non receptive level to any form of electromagnetic input. And therefore, you're sort of going into sort of like a cleansing bath. Um, and there certainly seems to be evidence that this is, is you know, it's not just a bit of whimsy. Um, and certainly, I know that, you know, I've healed things in myself, you know, some th- things that are not as serious as cancers, although I did, do most of the healing on the, on this, this thing I had finally cut out, just using oregano, oil and meditation. So for six months I lived with it, thinking that I um, would manage. And In the end I had to give up because it just wouldn't quite heal. So uh, anyway, but, yes. yeah, I mean, I, we are our own healer, you know, really.
1: Yes, this is true. This is very true. Let's go and see some primroses.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was lovely talking to you. Yeah,
1: and I'll um, I'll keep in touch. But l- yeah, all the blessed. and let's yeah, look, and, let, and yeah, uh, take take care, matey. Bye bye. Yeah,
0: take great care. Bye bye right. now.